praise the Lord. Isn't it wonderful that He does care? It's more than a song. It's reality. Sometimes we can't fully grasp it. Sometimes it seems things are dark. I, my wife and I, uh, we went through something this past year that we knew very little of. When uh, we have a, a daughter that lives in Africa and her husband and children and a son that lives over there as missionaries. And, and last fall, their oldest, uh, only son, uh, my daughter's uh, child, their only son, they have four children, he was 10 years old. Their only son uh, got uh, malaria and died over in Africa. And, uh, you know, they don't have... My wife and I were never at the funeral. You can't be there in time. They don't embalm them. They bury them the same day they die. And it's impossible for us to be there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to say. I mean, it's hard to uh, uh, comprehend the grace that God will give at a moment like that. We got a call that he, uh, that he had stopped breathing. We had known the evening before we went to bed that uh, he was very sick and then we got a call in the middle of the night and said he had stopped breathing and they were trying to revive him and a short time later my son called and said he had died. And, uh, but, you know, you think, you think when something like that happens, especially my daughter, she told me later, she said, Dad, she said, she watched him die and she said as soon as he was dead she said I can honestly honestly say I never really would have asked to get him back she said he he's in such a better place you know does Jesus care I believe he weeps with those that weep but the grace is there sometimes we want to we want to have grace when we don't need grace. You know, we think, how could I endure if this and this would happen to my wife or my child or this and this? You know, we can't quite imagine how it would be because we're trying to imagine how it would be without the grace of God. But when it actually happens, the grace is there. You cannot stockpile grace. When you don't need it, it won't be there. But when you need it, it's there for you. <clears throat> I'd like to greet each one of you in the name of Jesus. I looked forward to these meetings for a while already. Two years ago when I was with you, I was so blessed. and, and uh, I, uh, So I look forward to having this time again with you. And I believe this afternoon in our prayer group, we had a good start and a good time. Two hours went by before we realized it, and it was just a good time to be together. But before we go into the message, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight because we know that you care as we sang tonight you care about these things as the father pitieth his children so the Lord pitieth them that, that love him and we know Lord that you are moved your word tells us that you're moved when you see the things we go through Lord tonight I, I just, this just gives me boldness to come to your throne of grace because I know that Jesus is there he ever liveth to make intercession for us Tonight, Lord, we just thank you and praise you that the one who died for us didn't stay dead, but he arose from the grave. He was victorious and he arose from the grave. And therefore, we rise with him also in newness of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, tonight as we go through this message that you would just open up our hearts to be receptive. And Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in each one of our hearts, Lord. That you could receive glory through this and each one of us would soberly consider where we're at, where we're going, what we're seeking. And let, let, me, and let you speak to us. Father, I just thank you for all of these youth. I pray that each one of them, Lord, that each one of them would fulfill their calling in this life. Oh Lord, that not one of them would ever be lost. But that they would all grow to be men and women of God. Walk in the pathway of, of truth. And pursue with godly fear the direction you want them to go. Thank you, Lord. We just commit each one into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Let's turn our Bibles for a text to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. 
We're going to begin reading in verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Let's turn over to chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. I was asked to share a revival message tonight to, with you and I'd like to do that by the grace of God. But according to these scriptures I read here there came a day namely the sixth day if you will check closely when God created man that uh, he took the dust of the earth and he formed man out of that dust. He formed man out of that dust shaping it into an image his likeness. You know I believe tonight that he formed a perfect a perfect form out of the dust of that ground. I believe just a lifeless form, a perfect, as perfect as man can be. I, I, when I, I picture this, this, uh, how could I say, this corpse, this, this clay, just this form on the ground there beside God, and, and it was perfectly, uh, you know, as perfect as could be, flawless and perfect. I do not believe that form when God made that had any heredity flaws. I believe that as man should look, that's how that form looked. And it was made in the image of God. And as it lay there, you know, it was as perfect as it was, it was lifeless. Just lifeless as it lay there. Cold as clay. Nothing in it, no life in it. Until God breathed in his nostrils. Verse 7 of chapter 2 says, God breathed into the dead form's nose, and the dead form came to life, and became a living soul. Now tonight I want, to, I want each one of us to take note of something here. Before God made man, He made the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, and all the living creatures on the earth. And God gave each one of them, each one of them life. Each one of them He gave life. Pulsating, vibrant, breathing life. Now we may think, what is life? That's a good question. You know, with all the newest technology that man has, and they, they are able to put all the ingredients together and put it in. The Bible says the life is in the blood. Man can make blood, in a sense. He can make blood. He can make something that looks perfectly like blood. Has all the ingredients in that blood has in, except he cannot put life in blood. I've yet to have anybody tell me what life is. Everything that you can tell me tonight that life is, you are only telling me what the results of life are. It's only the results. It's only the byproduct of life. But what is life? No one knows. The songwriter says, Secure is life from mortal man. Secure is life from mortal mind. God holds the gem within his hand. Though men may search, they cannot find. For God alone doth understand. Amazing what life is. But God breathed into this form that he had made. Life. The life that he gave man was different than all the life that he than the life that he gave to all the animals that he had just made. It was the life of a living soul. The animals, fish, and birds also have life, but they don't have spiritual life. They don't have spiritual life. Their life is limited to the physical, but man has both physical and spiritual, both physical and uh, uh, soul life. The soul life can never die. You know, it rules over all death. Soul life will rule over all death and cannot die because it wasn't just given life. It is a part of the very essence of life. It's the very part of God himself. The very essence of life. It's part of that which always was. Now there's an amazing thing. We sit here tonight and, and we think. You know, we remember when we were just small. When, if the parents are here, we remember when the child was born. But the fact is, every one of us here tonight has something within us that was before the world was formed. That's just mind-boggling for me. There's something in me that existed before the world was formed. 
It's that life that always was. It's a part of God. God always was. And God shared with us a part of Himself that became a part of this living, this living being that was before the world began. The life that you and I have in the soul is life that always was, eternity past, the very breath of God. Nothing can destroy it. It will always be. You can die, your body can decay and go back to earth from whence it was made, but your, the life that was living within that clay will continue living. Even the death power of sin cannot touch it. Sin destroyed the physical life and put a death sentence on it, but the life of the soul is eternal. Why am I bringing this out? Because tonight my message is on the worth of a soul. Do you know what the worth is of a soul? The worth of a soul. And I think it's very important that we see this in light of the soul's endurance. The worth of a soul. Are you a body with a soul? Or are you a soul with a body? I like to think of the latter. Because once your body is gone, the soul will still be. My prayer tonight for this message is that the Holy Spirit would use it to stir us and to move us. Just to move us out of our uncaring and indifferent attitude that we so often have about our own soul and the souls of those around us. There are three things on this subject we want to consider. The value God puts on a soul, number one. Number two, the value we put on the soul of others. And number three, the, uh, the value we put on our own soul. What value does God put on a soul? How can we find out? Always the value an individual puts on something is determined by what that individual is willing to pay for. Whatever he's willing to pay for it. That's what he has determined is the value of that object or whatever it may be. So if we want to know how much his soul is worth to God, we need to look at the price that he was willing to pay for it. Paul told the Corinthians, you're not your own, you don't belong to yourself, you've been bought with a price. Christ paid for every living soul that ever was and ever will be. And it's up to us to accept that price or reject it. Let's look at the price of a soul in light of what God was willing to pay for it. Tonight I could spend hours trying to describe what Christ, what He paid to redeem us and never come close to it. Our wildest imagination cannot touch it. I'm convinced. Our wildest imagination cannot touch it because our mind cannot relate to anything beyond our human level. We know little about God. And, and uh, oh yes, we know He exists. We know some of, uh, about Him through the Bible. But really, if it takes all the ceaseless ages of eternity for Him to, to show His riches to His children, wow, what don't we know? What don't we know? <clears throat> when you and I think of paying a high price for something, we automatically... Uh, we think of giving something that we own, something we have, something we're willing to give for that. That's immediately where our mind goes to when we think of paying, of paying a high price for something. Not so God. When He put a value on this soul of you and I, of, on, on you and I's soul, when He put a value on that, nothing that He owned would be enough. Nothing. Though He owns the world, the Bible says He owns the cattle upon a thousand hills, and He owns a thousand hills themselves. Everything God had made, everything He owned, was not valuable enough to buy one soul. Not in the eyes of God. I mean, I look at the universe. Heaven and earth, they were not enough. The universe, we know so little about it. And I know a lot less than a lot of people do. But you take some of these people that are studying this with their strong magnifying uh, glasses that they have and, the, and the, the, the magnifying scopes that they have, more and more they are, being able, to, they are able to penetrate out into the, the heavens further and further and further I mean you, look at, you start looking at some of these pictures that they have today taken with some of the modern cameras and it's absolutely mind boggling some of the pictures they took from the moon when the earth was but a dot just a dot in the whole atmosphere and then you have the Milky Way and in the, in the Milky Way I don't, I, mean, I, don't get, I don't even get into talking about light years because I know so little about it but we're talking about light years and we're talking about millions of miles and, and it's, it's beyond my, what my mind can comprehend all those things our Lord God made and all those things put together was not worth enough to buy one soul 
Can you get a grasp on it? God values one soul above this. What God paid for you and I could not be paid for with what he had, but with what he was. Everything he had was not sufficient, so he gave himself for it. Let's take a closer look at that tonight. God gave himself through his Son, Jesus Christ, body and soul. Tonight I want to look at that and get a small glimpse of his value of a soul. What does God value a soul at? In order for Jesus Christ to pay the price of a soul with body and soul, he had to first have a body as you and I know it. He lived with God. I just uh, shared a message yesterday in church at home on intercessory prayer and I was sharing about Abraham. And when those three men came to Abraham, two of them were angels and one of them was the Lord, the Bible says. Now, I'm just simple enough to believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ that came with those two angels to see Abraham. That was before Jesus Christ was incarnated and was made a, and put on a human, human body. But uh, anyway, Hebrews 10 verse 5 says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, but a body, a body hast thou prepared for me. Talking about the Lord Jesus and when he's going to come down to the earth in the form of a little baby. <coughs> now to live in a human body, that's not a big deal for us. That's all we know. That's all every one of us has ever known, just to live in this human body. But for one who made the universe, for one who made the planets, and the little bit I tried to describe tonight, for one who made all of those, for one who knows no limits, for one who knows no boundaries, no confines, no restrictions, for one who's, where a wall is nothing, you go right through it. For one who, for one who can, who can uh, pour out the ocean as if it was in a pitcher of water. For one whose earth, where the earth is his footstool. I mean, we could go on and on and on and try to describe this and our minds just, I mean, we can't, we can't comprehend it. For such a one to put on a body. This aching, limitless, aging body. And don't forget, Jesus Christ, when he put on a human body, he put on the same kind of body we have. One that ages. One that gets tired. One that gets sleepy, worn out. For God himself to put on a human body is a high price. The songwriter says, My father's house of light, my glorious circled throne, I left for earthly night for wanderings all alone. And listen, Jesus Christ did not take any shortcuts. He did not take any shortcuts. He didn't come with some superhuman body or appearance. He came in poverty. He came in humility. And in the form of a helpless baby, dependent upon others. Tonight, try to get a glimpse of this with me. Do you realize that the Creator subjected Himself to His creation? His own creation had to feed him. His own creation had to teach him how to walk. His own creation. I mean, he depended on his own creation to live. Think of your little baby on your lap and try to comprehend how it would be if that little baby made you instead of you be the one that brought this baby forth. That little baby made you and gave you the breath of life. That's what Mary had. I don't think Mary knew all of that, not in the way we know it today. But that's what Jesus paid for when he put on a body. And like I said, he didn't take any shortcuts. When he grew up, the Bible says, there was no beauty that we should desire him. I'd like to say he had no Elvis Presley advantage. No, there was no beauty that we should desire him. I don't think Jesus Christ looked like anybody special. He just looked like common man. When the time came for his crucifixion, he suffered indescribably. Not only was he crucified, but he was whipped and tortured beyond recognition. I don't know if any of us can fully grasp what the whipping post was like, but I've, I've read where they tried to describe what the whipping post was back in those days. And the way I understand, it was a post that was maybe this high, a stout post that was 
solid in the ground with, with chains at the bottom where they would take a person and, and chain him to it and he had to bend over in order to be chained or on his knees or bend over one way or the other he could not stand erect and they would, they would take a whip they would take two men one on each side of the person and those whips had bits of bones tied on the end of those whips and the one person would lash him from the one side and then the other person would lash him from the other side and when they whipped Jesus they gave him 39 strokes they, said, they say one stroke just one stroke of that whip was able to lay the flesh open to where you could see the white of the bone Thirty-nine of them. How do you think he looked? How do you think his? How do you? What do you think he looked like by the time thirty-nine of those lashes? The Bible gives us a little bit of insight. Isaiah fifty-two fourteen says, "Many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred, more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men." Another translation says, "The crowds were appalled." on seeing him so disfigured did he look that he seemed no longer human the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed why? Lord why? why go through all of this Lord? why put your son through this? And I believe the answer comes back from heaven. I'm establishing a price for a soul. I'm putting a value on a soul. God is making it clear how much He valued you and I. That's what He paid with His body. What about His soul? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 He has made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Again, we're very limited in our understanding of this verse because we can only identify, we can only identify with knowing sin. From as far back as we can remember, we know the feeling of guilt. I cannot even remember tonight, when I, the day I lived, that I didn't know guilt. I cannot think back far enough when I had no guilt. As long as I can remember, I knew guilt. And I believe that's the case for every one of us. But remember, the soul that bore our sins, the soul that was made sin for us, the soul that was made an offering for sin, was pure and spotless. He knew no sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's something for us to consider. If I ask you tonight, how righteous is God on a scale 1 to 10? I'm sure not one of us would hesitate to say 10. How righteous are you and I on a scale 1 to 10 who are in Christ Jesus? Anyone? 10. How can that be? How can you be as righteous as God? Because you're not resting in your own righteousness. The righteousness you have is the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not given our own righteousness. It's as filthy rags, Isaiah says. But we are given the righteousness of God in Christ. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of man. The righteousness of God in Christ. But we have to remember, the soul that bore our sins, the soul that was, made an, uh, that was made an offering for our sins, was unrelated to the pangs of sin. He knew nothing of guilt and remorse. He knew, noth he knew nothing of inferiority. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. Again, let's take a closer look at this. I want you to think about something tonight. In John 3, where Jesus talked to Nicodemus, Christ told Nicodemus, As Moses lifted up his serpent in the wilderness, even so, in the same way, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
Even so, in like manner, in the same way, we know the story. How the people back in the wilderness were bitten by poisonous snakes that they died. The Bible doesn't say how many died. It just says many died. And, and uh, they came to the, they had, they had uh, grieved God and murmured against God and they came to Moses and cried out and, and asked Moses to do something about it. And Moses went to the Lord and he asked the Lord what to do. And the Lord told him to take a, a pole and to put it out there and to make a bronze or a brazen serpent and put it on that pole. And he said, everyone that looks upon that serpent will be healed of that snake bite. Now that was a shadow of things to come. What we know about that today, looking back now, is that pole represented, that, that brazen serpent on the pole represented sin. It represented, yes, it, rep, it was, it was, a, it was a, a replicate, or a, you could say a, a, it was made after the same thing that bit them. All these little snakes that bit the people that they died, they put a snake on the pole. And I can imagine the people's reaction from that. Why should I look at a snake? I mean, that's what I'm trying to get rid of, the bite of a snake. But you know, we have to remember that this is a type of sin. We have to remember that we all are bitten with sin. And so we have to look to something that is in the, the same thing as what we were bitten with. So you have to remember when Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, He was as a snake to God. God hates sin. And when He looked at Christ, He saw nothing. He didn't see a beautiful sun. He looked at a black blob of sin because Christ was made all the sins that were ever committed. Christ was made that sin and hung on the cross. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, the Bible says. God cursed, had to curse Christ hanging on the tree in order to pay for our sins. I can well imagine what might have gone on in that camp in the children of Israel. Because I'm man just like they were. I can imagine perhaps, perhaps grandpa was bitten by a snake and he was in his tent and he was dying. And perhaps his son had also been bitten by a, by a snake. But he had looked out at that pole and he was healed. And he was begging grandpa, Grandpa, why don't you look at that pole? I was bitten by, by the snakes too. And I got healed. Grandpa, won't you look at that snake? And grandpa says, don't even talk about it. I don't even want to look at that. I, I'm sick of snakes. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Tell mom to get some of the homemade remedies and see if we can't get rid of this snake bite. Why do I imagine those things? Because man is still the same. You know, we think, what a fool. Why, 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 how foolish is that? Why doesn't he at least get his son to take him and, and look out at that snake? I, I mean, he could heal it. And I don't know if he finally gave in or not, whether the son took him to it and took him where he could look at that snake and was healed. I don't know. But I do know man. And I just know that man today yet doesn't want to look at the crucified one. He doesn't want to look at the one that was made sin for his sins. He wants to try all kinds of home remedies. Oh, we have all kinds of clean-up things that we'd like to do. I'll quit smoking, see if I feel better. I'll quit my drinking. I'll quit my whoring around. I'll quit this. I'll quit that. Won't do. Won't do. Unless we look to the one that was made sin for our sin, there is no remedy. And you know, Nicodemus showed that all in the day. I mean, that Jesus showed Nicodemus all of that, trying to make it clear to him. I would have loved to sit in and hear what Jesus and Nicodemus conversed that night. The price Jesus paid for us in anguish of soul and spirit, the humility of it all is beyond our ability to relate to. Growing up among whispers, you know, I believe, I believe Jesus Christ grew up with whispers behind his back of bastard and such things. Why do I believe that? Because when he was a grown man, the Pharisees threw it right in his face. We've been not born out of fornication. You see, we look, at the, we look at the virgin birth. It's no problem to us. We just believe it. The Bible says that he was born of the Spirit. He was born from a virgin. But we have to remember. We have to be a little, may I say, sympathetic in a sense. We have to remember that this was something unheard of. This was not something that you read in a book and then, and today, you could, like we today, we just believe it. We have it in the Bible and it makes sense to us because we are on this side of salvation. But to them that were on the other side, before Christ was ever crucified, before they ever had the Holy Spirit within, uh, it was something that was almost impossible to believe. I believe people back then that were devout people that wanted to serve God. How did they look at this thing? When you think of Mary, here was a young girl, all kinds of potential. You would think this girl has, 
I mean, people that knew her probably, I'm sure the Lord did not take some sinful young flirt that was out there and decide that she's going to be the mother of, of my son. I, I know better than that. I believe Mary was a pure young girl. Well, the Bible says she was a virgin. So we know that she was at least pure in that sense. But God picked her out because I believe she was a virtuous young woman and God decided to use her. And the way she responded when the angel came to her tells me a lot about Mary. And you know, but suppose she did have some close friends. And suppose Mary all of a sudden, Mary doesn't say anything to anybody, but all of a sudden she can't hide it. She certainly is going to have a child. What do you think went on? Nobody knew about the virgin birth. What do you think went on? behind her back I don't know but perhaps one of her friends who loved her and was a close friend of her finally got up enough of courage to go to say Mary Mary just be honest just be honest Mary who's the daddy and Mary looks sweetly back at her friends and says the Holy Spirit do you think that went down well No small thing for Christ to put on a body. No small thing to grow up, to be talked about, to say that that's the child that's born out of wedlock. I mean, that was ten times worse than we have it today. It's one thing to bear up under accusations that are true, but it's another to remain silent when you know they're not true. The Bible says he was known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as the offering of his very soul for sin drew near, he said in Matthew 26, verse 38, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. I'm not sure I can comprehend those words. When he says, even unto death, he's talking about the death of his soul. He's not talking about his body. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Isaiah 53 verse 10 and 11 Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him He has has put on him He has put him to grief When thou shalt make his soul An offering for sin He He shall see the travail of his soul He's not talking about his physical body now He shall see the travail of his soul And shall be satisfied Isaiah 53 12 says he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressions. Verse 11 says, He shall bear their iniquities. These verses tell me that when Christ was made sin for us, He was made just that. Isaiah 53.12 He bare the sins of many. How do you bear the sins of a person? How do you bear the sins of a person? He bore the guilt of them. You know, sometimes justice, even in our day, not too often in our day yet anymore, because of the slow process of the trials, but sometimes it even slips through the day. But years ago, when they didn't take the trials to the extent they do today, sometimes men died because they were, they were blamed for something they didn't do. That happened. Well, we know what Christ was. He was without sin, but he bore the sins of many. He bore the guilt of them as if he committed them. What does it mean in Isaiah 53.5? The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The punishment of our peace he paid for. The Bible says, like I said, he bore our sins. What is the weight of sin? Tell me tonight, what is the weight of sin? Is it not the guilt of them? Just a terrible feeling? The guilt of sin? Justice cannot be satisfied unless someone pays up. What does it mean to bear sins? What is the horrible weight of them? Is it not the crushing guilt of those sins? I mean, even today sometimes you have people that commit some awful crime and and they're not caught. They get away and they can't bear it. Finally they come and they turn themselves in. Why? They can't bear the guilt. Well, Christ bore our sins. What makes you feel bad when you, when you sin? Is it not the weight of guilt? I remember here some time ago, 
I got to thinking about my past, and perhaps all of us sitting here tonight have something in our past that we don't we don't want to we don't even go there. We don't even want to think of it. It's such a thing in our mind we don't even want to go there. And when you think of it, when memories come back, you get this sick feeling in your stomach. One day it came very clear to me that Christ had that sick feeling in his stomach for me. For me. I don't have to feel sick in my stomach anymore. Christ felt it for me. <clears throat> Why wasn't the scapegoat in the Old Testament sufficient? They used to put the sins of the people on the scapegoats back and chase them out in the wilderness. Why wasn't that enough? That was only a shadow. That could only last so long until the real one came and bore the sins for all time. But why wasn't the goat enough? Because the goat couldn't feel guilty. He couldn't bear the guilt of sin. He couldn't feel the weight of sin. He was just an animal. He has no morality. He knew nothing of those things. Man can bear the consequences of another's iniquities. And often does. But he cannot bear the iniquities themselves. Why not? You take, like I said, men have been, men have been uh, executed for the crime of another. But you know what? Those men went to the grave knowing in their heart they didn't do it. And so in that sense, they did not bear what Christ bore. Oh, I know, I, I know Christ knew he didn't do it, but he felt like he did it, or he couldn't have bore the sins. Why can't man bear iniquities of others? Because the soul of man is already contaminated with guilt for his own sin. Justice cannot be satisfied until the guilt can be laid on a sinless, spotless soul. One that can feel the full impact of that. And only Christ meets those demands. What Christ faced in Gethsemane, only a sinless soul can know. When Christ looked into that cup and saw the sins of the whole world of all time what do you think went through his mind when he saw murder hatred adultery fornication I believe I believe when Christ looked into that cup it's yes it's a spiritualized cup but in God in Christ's mind it was real I think of a cup just making it literal for our comprehension at least here, here you have a cup what do you think if, if God would pour all the sins that were ever committed upon the face of this earth and, and be able to uh, to concentrate them down into a, a liquid and put it in that cup what do you think that liquid would look like? just a black moving liquid that's black as night think of all the murder and hatred and adultery and fornication infidelity homosexuality theft and lies child abuse human torture down through the years think of all that Hitler committed think of all that some of these other men down through history, Nero and some of them committed murdering millions of people. All that condensed into one black liquid and Christ is asked to drink it. I believe his spotless, sinless soul shuddered at the thought of it. Even if you and I could drink that, it wouldn't be the same for us because we already know sin. But Christ never knew guilt. Is it any wonder he sweated sweat drops of blood? Is it any wonder that he cried, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Is it not possible that salvation can be given without me becoming sin? As he hung on the cross and knew that his end was very near. As he hung there in agony, knowing that shortly he must be separated and forsaken by the Father because of the sin that he was bearing. I believe Christ knew when he hung on the cross that he was bearing all the sins of the whole world and how this must look to God. What is God seeing? How this must look? Remember, we think we have a close relationship with God and some of us do. But Christ's relationship was not just a relationship with God. He was God. And to know that he is carrying the sins of the whole world as he hung there on the cross, separated and forsaken by the Father, because of the sins that he was bearing. And as he sensed this separation taking place, and he knew that God is going to have to leave him, turn his face from him and curse him. Because cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. It was not a coincidence that Jesus Christ was hung on a cross. 
This was planned. This was supposed to be so that whole curse and everything could be carried out. As he hung there in agony, knowing that the Father is going to turn his back on him because of the sin that he's carrying, perhaps he recalled the words of the psalmist that he was familiar with, which were a prophecy being fulfilled in Psalms 22. I believe when David penned these words, he had, perhaps he had no idea what he was penning. Because I believe when David penned these words on Psalms 22, somehow God gave him insight that this would be the thoughts that Christ would have when he was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I am not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. I believe these were the thoughts of Jesus when he hung on the cross. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised the people. He's saying here that the prophets were at least men but I am less than a man. I'm a worm, he says. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lips. They shake their heads saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb, that didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouth as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melteth in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have come past me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. I believe that he was so lacerated that his bones were bare. He says, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be thou... But be thou not far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. And just as Jesus breathed his last, he cried out, the Bible says with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? And again the words echo back from heaven. I must show you the worth of a soul. I must get you to somehow understand the value and the price that I have put on a soul. You'll never be diligent in seeking out the lost or come to grips with your own until you see the value of a soul. Let's go to the second part of the message. The value we put on the soul of another. The value we put on the soul of another. What value do you put on the soul of another? How do you look at those around you, you fellow men? Words cannot answer this question. Only our everyday life and how we relate to others will tell. How we relate to those around us in everyday life. How responsible we feel towards them. How much effort that we put forth for them to see the salvation God has provided for them. That all tells the story. How, value, how much value we put on their soul. How does one measure the worth of a soul? Can you measure eternity? If you can measure eternity, you can measure the worth of a soul. And I'll tell you why. Because every soul will spend eternity somewhere. Tonight, even for a minute, stop your whirling, active mind and direct it into one direction. Just try that. Look around you and think. Look at the faces around you. However many that are here tonight, sitting in this room, behind that face there's a soul. A never dying soul that was before the world began. A soul that will be very much alive a million years from now. 
a soul that will either be blissfully happy or writhing in indescribable anguish and pain hopelessly I said hopelessly lost forever, forever, forever take these thoughts with you day by day what about that face across the counter in the bank at the checkout in the supermarket at the gas station in the car next to you when you pull up to a traffic light what about the soul behind those eyes that look at you how much do you value that soul fathers look at your children by your side they are following you their eyes are on you trusting you look each one in the face and think of two things their soul and eternity mothers look at the baby in your arms or think of the one in your womb and think of the worth of a soul boys and girls look at your siblings younger brothers and sisters watching you following you looking for an example and think of the worth of a soul fathers and mothers as you discipline your children and it's difficult I know it's difficult and hard at times for you to carry it out but when you find that hard to carry out think of eternity think of a million years from now think of the worth of a soul and it will bring a soberness a carefulness and a consistency into your dis disciplining fathers as you wake up in the morning as you think of getting up realizing you're the head of the home and you're thinking of getting up in the morning thinking of all those that are under your care all those that are under your authority those that are under your leadership as you get up in the morning think of the worth of a soul mothers as you rock your little ones to sleep or breastfeed your baby think of the worth of a soul where will this helpless little one end up at its destination largely depends on you and the life that you are living it will most likely follow your example it will get excited about the things you get excited about it will form its values by what, you, what it sees that you hold valuable be not deceived we as parents must be all that we want our children to be we must be all that we want our children to be we cannot expect our children to be more spiritual than what we are parents as you relate to your teenagers when you are hard put to give direction for their many ambitions just look beyond the, parent, the present and think of eternity and think of the worth of a soul each one of you stop and think with me in a million years from now really in a million years from now how important is your home that job that dream that something I have wondered for a long time really how much how important will be my business in a million years from now how important will be my reputation my name and my possessions in a million years from now I mean what, what doesn't matter what people will think of, what people thought of me back then young people so often we're moved by peer pressure we really care what our peers think of us but stop and think a little bit in a million years from now will that matter Really, in light of eternity, how important are some of the ambitions we have and the things we pursue? How much do they have to do with the worth of a soul? Now think of the words of Jesus tonight. What seek ye? What seek ye? Every one of us sitting here tonight, including the smallest baby here among us, is seeking something. We're all seeking something. What seek ye? Is it worth? Is it worth seeking? let's go now to the last part of the message the value we put on our own soul what value what price can you be bought can I be bought tonight if you have a price then you can be bought only those that have no price cannot be bought and if you, have a, if you can be bought then the price makes no difference the only thing that matters to God is whether or not you can be bought.
there was a survey taken in America I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of women and how many hundreds or thousands of men but a survey was taken and the women were asked how much would you how much would it take for you to commit adultery and the average was a thousand dollars they took a survey of the men how much would it take for you to cheat on your wife the average was ten dollars now we say ten dollars and even the women it was uh, most everyone said they would they would for a million dollars now what I'd like to bring out is there's a big difference between a ten dollars on the men's side and a million dollars on the women's side but only in money that's the only difference if you can be bought then the price doesn't matter to God it didn't make a difference if you would hold out for a million dollars or hold out for ten bucks made no difference Mark 8, 34-37 And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. <clears throat> for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The last verse, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, means what can a man give that is equivalent for his soul or of equal value? Now this is a question that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago, which he never answered. But you know, every one of us here is answering that question each day of our life by the way we live. And tonight you and I cannot evade or bypass this question. What will you give? What will you and I give in exchange for our soul? What are we daily giving? What value have we put on it? If it's anything short of your own life, you're selling out too cheap. You're trying to save your life and according to the scriptures, you will lose it. What would you give for an exchange for your soul? Again, like I said, it's not a hard question to answer. We answer it every day. By the way you make your everyday little choices. What is your price? What is my price tonight? What are you willing to trade it off on and have it damned? How much is your soul worth to you? Your price is whatever is keeping you from fellowship with Him. Whatever is keeping you from having fellowship with the Lord. That's the price. Whatever is keeping you off of your knees. Whatever is keeping you from reading God's word and allowing it to give you direction. Whatever is keeping you from having a close walk with God. That's the price. It can be books or magazines, tapes, videos, anything that is distracting you from fellowship with Him. It can be sports, pleasure seeking of all kinds, some selfish ambition. It can be work, slothfulness, greed, the desire for more. It can be some secret love, lust, or the honor of men. It could be some secret agenda for power or recognition and countless other things, even religion and traditions. Even those things. Things that are robbing you from peace and joy and a close relationship with God. That's the price that you and I put on our soul. No, these things don't necessarily instantly damn us. Not necessarily, not instantly. But they are choices that start you on a downward spiral. And once you're headed down that downward spiral, it's ten times harder to stop the slide than when you first started. And they, these choices we're making, they are an indication that I'm for sale. Doesn't matter what the price is. It is an indication that I'm for sale. And let me tell you something tonight. Once the devil knows that you're for sale... He knows that you will negotiate. And he'll come to you just like Balak came to Balaam. More impressive men, more impressive gifts. The devil knows how to do that. When the devil knows that I will give in if the price is high enough, he will make the price high. 
It's giving him a message that you're for sale. It's so sad, but all around us there are those who obviously have been lured into a price. Many unconsciously, but nevertheless, they have allowed themselves to be bought. They yielded their little finger. Now the devil has their hand, and he's leading them ever farther away. Think with me tonight. Some of the prices some have settled for. That first drink, that first cigarette, the triad drugs, that moment of passion, curiosity with pornography, or maybe it's an easy life, temporal goods, or the latest rage in fashion. Even stubbornness, where I'm going to have my way as I see it. The, the Bible calls stubbornness idolatry. Or perhaps you have a problem with authority. Those that are your authority. You rebel against your authority. Rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. I believe a person can be overcome with demons by rebellion as easy as if he played around with witchcraft. I believe that with all my heart. I've seen it happen. These are all choices and decisions people are daily giving in exchange for their soul. <clears throat> whatever it may be, whatever is hindering fellowship, that's the price. You know, whenever I drive through the community that I grew up in, at, at sometimes I do, when I go to Pennsylvania, I drive right through the middle of the community I grew up in, where I drove my horse and buggy down the streets, where I was from when I was nine years old until I was 21 years old. I drive right through the middle of that community. And my thoughts go and go and go. And I start thinking, you know, back when I was a teenager, we had around 60 young people my age. We had a nice little group of young people. They were my close friends. Very close friends to me. We were not only world... Uh, you know, we, we, today we no longer have fellowship with each other. We have very little in common. We are not only, not only uh, worlds but kingdoms apart. And I start thinking, how did this all come to pass? Why am I considered an outcast? I'd love to go back and see some of these old friends, but most of them would probably close the door on me or at least would not want to talk to me. And then I start thinking of the decisions that my wife and I made, and the bottom line is clear. The price of a soul. The price of a soul. <clears throat> and I think of what most of them all settled for. What they gave in exchange for their soul. Religion, traditions, family ties, friendships, reputations and man-fear, farms, acceptance, temporary security, jobs and positions. The price of a soul? The price of a soul? May God help us. I'd like to give you an illustration tonight on what I've put on here. <clears throat> if I was able... If I was able to take this black marker and go out across this board and just continue going, and I'd go all around the earth, come back up through here, come back through here. Now, that would be, in a sense, eternity future or eternity past. But in between those two eternities, if we can even grasp that, there's a slot in there that you probably can't even see that, that those lines are not joined together. But in that little in that little opening in between there is the dispensation of time. From when the earth was formed until the earth is no more. The dispensation of time. And within that dispensation of time is the little slot or speck or whatever. You couldn't even see it with a 10,000 time magnifying glass is your slot or my slot. And I try to think in that little bit why not live for the Lord? When I was a teenager your age I knew nothing of salvation but I knew about hellfire. And I feared. I feared God. I didn't get saved until I was 28 years old and had four children and my wife. But you know, I used, to, I used to come home from weekends and I wasn't out there carousing around like a, an evil young boy like a lot of boys are. I was afraid of God. I was afraid God would strike me dead if I would drink and carry on. I lived what I thought I knew was best but still had no peace. But I remember sitting in church services and my dad was a preacher and he could make hell real. 
I remember sitting there and just, why can't I live for the Lord? Why can't I live for the Lord? I didn't know what living for the Lord was. But I remember thinking of this. My dad used to say, he said, oh eternity, eternity, how long are you? In, in German, you can, you, can, uh, you can quote it with uh, where it rhymes. But he used to say, eternity, eternity, how long are you? You're just like a ring with no end to it. And I used to sit there and think of that. And I, and I think, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to live right. Grit my teeth, I'm going to live right. You know what happens. I had no power. But I remember this, I used to have this illustration in my mind back then. What I'm trying to say tonight, in that little slot, in that, within that little slot from way back in the days of Adam until this earth shall end, you and I have our little place. And in that little place, you and I are cramming what we think our soul is worth. What we think our soul is valuable. What we, th- what we value our soul at. What a man will give in exchange for his soul will stand out for all eternity, I believe. It will echo its hollow taunt in hell throughout the endless ages. The pleasures of sin, the price of your soul, the pleasures of sin. The price of your soul, the pleasures of sin. The price of your soul, the pleasures of sin. Throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. How pleasurable do you think those sins are at this moment to those who are writhing in torment? How pleasurable are they? What do you think they would give if given a chance? What do you think they would give in exchange for where they are at? This moment, if they were given a chance. Tonight God has showed us his value of our soul by the price he paid for it. And for any one of us to walk away tonight and just disregard that, we're asking for damnation. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his heart, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. The songwriter asks the question, Where will you be a million years from now? Will you be happy? Will you be singing? Where will you be a million years from now? You know, we all know that moments are swiftly vanishing into hours, hours into days, days into years. We are speeding toward eternity. All of us are speeding at a high rate of speed to meet our destination. Every one of us. The place we will be a million years from now. Daily, you and I are choosing that destination by the little choices that we are making. And those choices depend on the value that we put on our soul. Shall we pray? Father, it is a fearful thing to talk about these things. And yet we know, Lord, they're real. We cannot just close our eyes and make believe they are not real. We cannot just walk away and ignore the things that you talk about in your word. For we know, Lord, that everything will come to pass that you wrote. Father, tonight as we sit here, I pray, Lord, that each one of us, with an open heart, would be willing to look at the price we have put on our soul. And Lord, if we have put, if we have, if we have put on a price at all, if we know that we have been negotiating, if we know that we are willing to, to yield for any price, Lord, may we find grace to be able to put that on the altar tonight and sacrifice it unto you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would visit every heart through the Holy Spirit's power. We cannot just walk away and expect everyone here to be in good shape spiritually. Everyone is doing just their utmost. Everyone is living on top of things. Lord, we believe that's presumptuous. We believe it's possible. But Lord, to take that for granted is being presumptuous. And so, Lord, we just ask you, should there be people here tonight that have not sacrificed all, that are not willing to pay the price, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would speak to their heart. Minister to us, Lord, and draw our hearts to yourself. For we know that you will not despise us. No matter how we come to you, you will not despise us. He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He is able, he is able to save them that come unto him to save them unto the uttermost that come unto him through Christ. So Lord, we commit that to you. 
in Jesus name Amen I'm not going to tarry long tonight but I'm going to give you an invitation if the Lord spoke to your heart tonight I'm going to give you an invitation to repent or whatever if you want to lay on the altar of sacrifice tonight something God laid on your heart by all means do it I do not believe in begging but I think I'm going to just ask for a verse of song just as I am let's have that verse of song and we'll make it open the altar's open you want to come up and just simply if you want to pray and get through with God that's fine if you want to do that alone if you want counsel I'm sure we have people here that are willing to counsel you but we're not going to tarry long we'll just give you that one opportunity tonight